you know, it started in the Louisiana swamps. I love the swamps. If you're a nature person, I used to always see the signs on cars that said, Louisiana, a sportsman's paradise. <laughs> Man, it really is. Mm. After Katrina, I lived in a tent for a year and a half, right on the levee. And when I would get off of work in the evenings, I would go fishing and I would catch fish and cook them right there on the water, listening to my music. And I just really fell in love with Louisiana and the nature. And you know, Louisiana is, they just considered a big bayou. Mm -hmm. Man, I just got so in touch with nature that I started telling people that I am the bayou. And I had a person come out to interview me and he said, yeah, Bayou Dave, king of the bayou. I'm Kate Tucker, and this is Hope Is My Middle Name, a podcast from Consensus Digital Media. A friend told me recently about this guy, David Rivers, also known as Bayou Dave, and I couldn't stop thinking about the nearly insurmountable job he's taken on, cleaning up trash in Houston for the Buffalo Bayou Partnership. The partnership is a nonprofit dedicated to protecting Houston's waterways, and Bayou Dave is captain of a specially built boat called the Bayou Vac. Together with his friend Trey Dennis, also known as Country Slim, they use the boat's giant hose to suck up trash floating on the river. But we're not talking a few pieces of trash here and there. We're talking massive islands of plastic and debris, garbage patches so dense you can walk on them. And every storm washes more debris into the bayou, which ends up in the port of Houston, which makes his work a never-ending task. But Bayou Dave, he never gives up. He's living proof of how just one person can do a whole lot of good and bring a whole lot of hope to the world. Bayou Dave, thank you so much for being here. I am so excited to talk with you today. No problem. I appreciate you having me out. Let's talk some trash. You're out there dealing with it every day. You're cleaning up Houston's waterways. But how does all that trash actually end up in the bayou in the first place? So you just threw it on the street. It's laying against the curb. When we get a rain, it flushes it into the storm drains. You don't really get to see the effect of the trash until a big rain comes, and that's called a royal flush. When we get the Royal Flush, it's trash everywhere. Trash coming down the bayou continuously for hours going into the Port of Houston because we can't stop nature. Mm. And so when we get that big flush, we try to make sure that we're ready. We'll watch the weather. We have containment booms set up because water will follow the path of least resistance. Whenever it's raining, we like to go out so we can watch the flow of the water. We can also see where the water is dumping into the bayous. And if we see that, then we know, hey, trash is coming in this way. And so we'll set up booms accordingly to catch the trash. So it's storm drains and gorges from a rain is what brings the trash into the bayous. Wow. So you guys are like storm watchers, but in a whole different way. Right, right. It's never occurred to me that a huge part of the aftermath of the storm would be all of this litter that just gets tossed here and there. Oh, and overpasses. We can't forget about that. Yeah. Yeah, because there's trash on the freeways. Right. 
and trash come off the freeways from people driving. And I even have a video where trash is blowing off the overpasses and coming between the freeways, landing on the ground. And it's just this big area of trash that only came from the overpasses. So after a storm, what does the bayou actually look like? Yes, well, after a storm, all you see is um, brown because of the silt being washed up from the bottom. And you have a constant stream of trash. Mm-hmm. Buffalo Bayou starts in Katy. It also is being fed by White Oak Bayou. And so White Oak Bayou and Buffalo Bayou come together. And when they come together, it's just a steady stream of trash for hours. And whatever we don't catch goes into the Gulf. Sometimes I'll find a couch floating, a mattress, coolers all the time. My neighborhood, all the kids have balls. I find soccer balls, footballs, basketballs, you name it. I remember seeing a picture of you online in the biovac, and I couldn't actually see water around it. I remember seeing what looked more like a sea of trash. I stood on it. Oh, my gosh. That happens when the trash is just pushed into an area and couldn't get out and it's just pushed in so tight that it's compacted and it's so dense that I could stand on top of it. Uh. Another time I got out of the boat and I got on a pile of trash and I rode the the pile of trash down the bayou. You're kidding me. (laughs) No, it, it gets that dense sometimes. That's so hard to imagine. What do you think it is that keeps drawing you back to your work on the bayou? Seeing the nature from day to day. I get a chance to see what most people don't see, and that's all the different animals, because I go more towards the Port of Houston, and so it's not a highly populated area. So I get a chance to see the snakes and the alligators, and so my office is a little different than yours. I would say so. <laughs> yeah. So snakes, alligators, fish. What type of fish and snakes are you seeing? Well, um, as far as fish goes, my sons love catching alligator gar. At first, they like the red fish, but after fishing for alligator gar, they're so crafty that you have to bring your thinking cap when you're fishing for alligator gar. And so typically, we would just throw our line out with the bait and we would just wait until we get a bite. But alligator go a little different because they'll come to the boat, come to the surface, turn sideways and take a look at you, swim over to the bait, look at the bait, look back at you, and then grab the bait and just play with it. (laughs) They won't grab the hook. What? (laughs) (laughs) So do they make off with the bait? If you try to set the hook, they'll give it back to you. So you have to be really patient when fishing for alligator guard. They don't do anything fast, and they like to play. So that was their favorite. But we also have pin-nose guard, rat reds, bull reds, striped bass, bowfin, black drum. And then we have the different water snakes, diamondback water snakes. We have the the osprey, the gray herons that live on the water, diamondback water snakes, water moccasins. Every once in a while, you'll see a um, coach whip. A coach whip? Yes, it's called a coach whip. They don't have any venom. 
but they do have a lot of tenacity. They will charge you. Oh. And for them to be so tough, I thought it was interesting. About a year ago, it was a snake that tried to steal a baby rabbit. And the mama rabbit whooped his tail. He ran for it. That <laughs> joker ran all the way across the, the lot and then went up a tree. I had never seen a rabbit chase a snake up a tree. <laughs> I guess it ain't no fun when the rabbit got the gun. So with all these amazing fish and birds and snakes and rabbits running around the bayou, how do you see the trash actually impacting their existence? Well, the trash affects the water quality. Mm. If the water quality is affected, then you have the fish and the ducks, turtles and snakes that are dying. We don't have to drink the water. We look and say, oh, it's pretty, so it doesn't concern us as much. But if that water is off a little bit, you got to think about it. If it's, if just the algae blooms, it could kill hundreds of fish. Right. But now you have street runoff with all these different chemicals. And if it comes in a high concentration, then we lose a lot of the aquatic life. That's hurtful because now that's also going to affect the osprey. Mm -hmm. If the fish are affected, then the osprey are affected also. Mm. Yeah. So it's more than just unfortunate when a turtle gets a beverage container stuck around its neck or a fishing line on a bird. It's that the overall ecosystem is being altered by this vast amount of trash. Yes. If a real big storm comes through, it takes all the wildlife. It takes fish, turtles, snakes. One year, I didn't see baby turtles for over a year, and I see them hatch every year. After we got that last big storm, it washed everything out. Mm. So it's not just the trash, but we have these problems with these increasing storms. We've had three 100-year floods in the last five years. That affects the, the animals as, as well as the pollution. So if you're out there watching the water and the patterns of the water, what's kind of the biggest ugh, challenge that you've faced in the 13 years you've been there? Like, what did you wake up to and have to deal with? What did it look like? Oh, wow. I think I just posted a video in the Port of Houston of how much trash we had. And so when we get to work in the morning, our boat isn't fast. So we have to assess the wind and the current so we'll know which direction we, we can go in because trash would naturally collect in different pockets around the bayou. And so we don't have a chance to go in another direction because we cover 10 miles. So if I go 10 miles in one way, I won't be able to say, well, there's nothing here. Let's go to the other spot. I don't have that option. So we need to be pretty savvy on the conditions of the water so we'll know where the trash is. But we had an incident some months ago where we had a big rain and the turning basin in the Port of Houston was so full that it was no way that we could get all the trash. Wow. If we'd have had three or four, five boats, 22 yards, it can hold a piece. We still couldn't have got all the trash. I hadn't seen that much trash in a while. So what did you do? I mean, how does the biovac boat actually work in a situation like that? Well, we can only hold 22 yards. And so we can come out and have the best conditions, the best boat. But 
we have to have the people to help us. Mm-hmm. Being a nonprofit, we don't have a lot of crews. We have two teams. We have a team that goes out on John boats with community service workers to get the trash. And you have Country Slim and myself on the bio vac that go out to get the trash. And so when you're out there on the biovac, is it literally like a vacuum? Is it like a hose and you're sucking trash up? Yes, it's a vacuum. So now they built a new boat based off of different problems I was having with the old boat. The hose was difficult at times because the average person couldn't hold the hose, the handle, get trash, fight the suction, pull the hose back. It was just difficult for most people. Like from a physical standpoint? Yes, physically it's demanding. Okay. And so it was difficult for most people. Now we have it on a, um, it's an arm that comes out that supports the hose. Okay. And I can move it left to right, up and down, and move it in. It kind of slows us down a little bit because we're used to just slinging the hose over. Oh, I forgot something. Let's grab this right here. (laughs) Trey, when I back up, get everything in front of the boat, you know. Right. But it makes it easier. Like, if you come out, then I can control the winch going up and down, and all you have to do is just push it toward the trash. So if you come out, you, you can go home without feeling like I beat you up now. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I mean, so before that, you really had to put some energy into it. So were you just like going away from every day completely exhausted? I mean. Every day. Yeah. But I don't know. I guess I stayed motivated because it's just so necessary. And then sometimes I have to still do boat tours and post videos. And so it's really demanding you know, trying to save the world and trying to support your family at the same time, but hmm. failure is not an option. So it'll be totally worth it if the world could get the message and realize we have to make a change and then make a change. You know, the earth is being affected by us in so many different ways. And I'm just afraid that if we don't start paying attention, we'll cease to exist. did you start paying attention? I'm curious if you remember your initial encounters with nature, maybe some moments where you felt you were connected to it and and had a responsibility to it. We had a place in LaGrange, Texas, and I would go see my great-grandfather, David Crump. Early in the morning, he would get up and he would fix coffee and he'd tell me these stories that I just believed were true to my heart. <laughs> and we would just go for walks on the old dirt road and we would see rabbits and snakes and he would explain different things to me. And that's when I really started being more hands-on with nature. And then after that, Mutual of Omaha came on television and That really caught my attention because it was people that were going out and catching these animals and trying to do conservation, trying to keep them alive and reset the ecosystems. And that's basically, I guess, what I'm trying to do with making people aware. I'm trying to get them to reset. I just feel like if we don't do something and we keep passing it on to our children, we may wait until it's too late. Mm Mm-hmm. When you were a kid, did you notice trash? I mean, were you aware of it? And did you think about where it might end up? No, 
that didn't hit me until I got into the environmental business. After Katrina, it was a large demand to have people come out and be trained to do environmental work and hazmat work. Mm. After we finished with Katrina, I tried to clean the oil spill up. And when I got there, it was so much trash that we could not clean the oil spill until we got the trash out of the water. Mm -hmm. So we had to connect 200 foot of boom to two different boats and pull the boom to collect all the trash and tie the booms to the bank and then use a cherry picker to take the trash out of the water and put it in a line dumpster so it can be disposed of properly because of the oil on it. I asked my company, so who is it that's responsible for cleaning the trash? And he said, no one, because no one will pay for it. Wow. How did you become known as Bayou Dave? Well, I started calling myself Bayou Dave. You know, it started in the Louisiana swamps. I love the swamps. If you're a nature person, I used to always see the signs on cars that said, Louisiana, a sportsman's paradise. <laughs> Man, it really is. After Katrina, I lived in a tent for a year and a half, right on the levee. And when I would get off of work in the evenings, I would go fishing and I would catch fish and cook them right there on the water, listening to my music. And I just really fell in love with Louisiana and the nature. And you know, Louisiana is, they just considered a big bayou. Mm -hmm. Man, I just got so in touch with nature that I started telling people that I am the bayou. And so Bayou Dave came about and I had a person come out to interview me and he said, yeah, Bayou Dave, king of the bayou. Yes. It seems to fit and people always get a kick out of my last name being Rivers with me working on the river. I love it. I did a double take on the way into this call. I was like, wait a second, David Rivers? No way. So cool. So how did you end up as captain of the BioVac and working with the Buffalo Bayou Partnership. Mike Garver is the founder of Buffalo Bayou Partnership. And he saw something in me that made him want me to be the captain of his vacuum boat. I think he started this partnership by going out with a friend or two and John Boats picking up trash, just showing that it's a need for the environment to be cleaned up. I fell in love with the boat and started changing things on the boat because we couldn't get it from the water. Mm -hmm. I made jokes all the time because I would make modifications and we don't have a lot of money. So I would say that I'm saving the world with duct tape and bubble gum. <laughs> but failure is not an option. You've got your work cut out for you by you, Dave, and it's amazing. Tell me, how much trash are you actually collecting maybe every month? Well, um, I do have to say it's not for everybody. <laughs> and on the average, I guess you could say that we take out of the bayou about 2,000 cubic yards of trash a month. Wow. And so uh, the equivalent of about 12 or 14 dump trucks we'll get out of the bayou every month, and that's a combination of the biovac working, and our team is taking our community service workers on the John boats. That's incredible. 
Yeah, it's a lot. And that's every month. Yeah. And so we also have to trim the low-lying canopy because if we don't, then when we get a big rain, all the canopy, 10 foot from the water up, is all plastic bags. Oh, yeah. After, um, what was it, Ike, I think? Memorial Day flood, I remember. Cause we, oh man, cause the homeless camp got totally wiped out. That was so sad. Oh. I used to go up there and see the guys all the time and nobody knew the Memorial Day flood was coming. So the next day I went out in that whole cliff. It was a, a tent city up there. Everything was gone. Mm. And it was just so cool cause they had tents set up and trails and notches cut out in the embankment where they made steps they had a big giant circus tent with a living room area i mean it was just so cool and they got washed out well i have to get back to the low-lying canopies the reason why it's so important to cut those was because of the bags in the trees so now after the memorial day flood it took us a little over a year to get all the bags out of the tree from Shepherd to the Port of Houston. Wow, are you kidding? I don't know if you ever tried to get a bag out of a tree, but the storm are rapid around the limbs. Yeah. So it's above your head. So I had to come up with tools. So you have to be an innovator too, you know. Yeah. I went to Home Depot and I saw a clock. And so I put an extension on that claw and bent it over and put an extra hook on it. And we went out to see if it would work. And it did. So brought it back to Brett Farley. He's our welder. He made some poles that we could get the bags out of the trees. And then we have nets. But every net we buy is torn to shreds within two or three days. Wow. Because of the weight of the trash and then vines getting caught and people put, they just don't stand up. So I got shrimp in it and some bar called pool bars that they have in fence because we, we recycle what we find. Yeah. And so I made uh, nets from paint handles, pool bars from a fence, Incredible. <laughs> it was able to stand up to day-to-day use. That's incredible. And then bayou rakes. We had to make our own rakes because the rakes don't stand up. Yeah. That's why I say we're the innovators of this cleaning up on the waterways because a lot of people just don't know what they'll have to contend with. Wow. So you're out there innovating, creating tools that they don't sell at Home Depot. And you're also a spokesperson I mean, you have stepped up. You're living this work. You do it on a daily basis. And you're also out in the world talking about it. You've called it a calling. Tell me more about the calling. (laughs) Well, I guess you can call me the Bayou Ambassador at this point. (laughs) I realize it's a need for it. And it started off with me just making videos, making people aware and then I just try to stay motivated in that. And when I started getting all the feedback from people on what I was doing, I saw that I had a platform where I could touch people to make people more aware of what we're doing. I know I can't change anybody's minds, 
But if I could just make them aware of what's going on, then it'll affect the people that it should affect. And we can start making the changes that we need to start making. Mm. And so that's what drives me is knowing that one day we'll get to the point where people say, hey, we have to do better than what we're doing. We have to start making some changes. And we all know that only a fool will stay the same. Right. We can't keep staying the way that we were and expecting something different to happen. You won't get a different outcome until you start changing the way we live. When you are out there doing this work and you come home and you're physically exhausted, but you know that you're living this calling, what does being out in that natural, you know, wildlife on a day-to-day basis do for your mental health and kind of your own sort of, you know, quality of life? Wow. Um, I used to say that I love my job in the beginning. And and I still do, but it was mainly just because of the scenery. To be able to go out every day on my boat and see nature. And what kind of bird was that? Did you see it? And whoa, that fish rolled over. What was that fish? I don't remember seeing Trey. Did you know what it was? And in the fall, we get the different colors. It's nothing like the fall in the bayou. All the burgundy and red and green and yellow. It's just beautiful. And to be able to have the scenery change every day, it makes it all worthwhile. My love for the water, my love for nature, keeps me at a place where no matter what, I still want to come to work. My wife even tell me, she say, why don't you get rich so I don't have to work? (laughs) It's different for you because you love your job. You know, I love what I do because I feel like it'll make a difference. Even if it's not a big difference right now, in the long run, people will realize the, the contribution that I've given to the Bayou and Buffalo Bayou Partnership. Your love for your job hasn't changed in the last 13 years you've been there. I'm curious how the ecosystem has changed. What have you seen in the time you've been at the Bayou? Well, the ecosystem has changed because... We've done a lot to improve the quality of the water. We've done a lot to eradicate invasive species of plants, bringing the native ones, bringing back the animals. I've seen amounts of trash change from filling my boat up twice in a week to taking three weeks to fill up the boat. Mm. I noticed the water quality started getting better when I started seeing more osprey. Mm -hmm. When I first started at Buffalo Bayou Partnership, it was almost 13 years ago now. And it was only one osprey that I would see all the time. And as the years went on, they slowly started to increase and started nesting on the bayou. And that's a big deal because osprey only eat fish. Oh, So to have them out there, we knew that the water quality was better because so many came in. We even have bald eagle on the bayou. (gasps) And this is in Houston? Yes. Wow. And it's great when you see the bald eagles because people realize all that time they thought ospreys were eagles. They realize, no, they just the babies. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> right. The real deal has come yeah. to town. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm totally guilty of that. I, every bird I see when I'm out in the country, I'm like, oh, I saw an eagle. And, you yeah. know, someone will be like, that's a turkey vulture. <laughs> yeah. When you see an eagle, a bald eagle, you know the difference. It's kind of like a 300 Chrysler or a Bentley. You know, when you see that Bentley, you know that now that's the real deal. Yes. I am so glad to hear the environment is healthier and the Bentleys are back. But what about you, Bayou Dave? I'm curious how you think doing this work has changed you as a person. <laughs> I've never liked speaking in front of people. It's never something that I really cared to do. I'm a little shy, I guess you could say. <laughs> but my purpose removed the shyness and the... Uh, I don't know, I guess, I wouldn't say I was afraid to talk to people. It just wasn't a comfort zone for me. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that sometimes people do their best when you remove them from their comfort zone and they have to just rely on who they are. And so me being removed from my comfort zone activated the Bayou Dave inside of me. Since that point, you know, I just roll with who I am instead of worrying about how I feel. Because if I stayed in that same way, then we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. So yeah. I'm always ready for the opportunity to talk to someone about it, even though still in my mind, I'm like, what are they going to want to talk about? Oh, is what I have to say going to be relevant? You know, and I still don't understand why so many people want to come out and talk to me, but... As long as you do, I'll keep telling the same story about the bayou and about how horrible the water quality and the trash is. And if we don't do something, it'll be too late. And failure is not an option for me. So I, while I'm on the front lines fighting, I hope people are watching and getting their gear together so they can come help. Because <sighs> I'm going to be fighting until you get here. <laughs> and we're so glad you are. And I hope that you can feel the impact that you're having on the world because I know that you're giving so much. So what does it feel like to know that you're changing the world? I'm just Dave. I'm just Bayou Dave. I'm not a, a lawyer, a doctor. I don't have no special degrees. I'm just a person that's noticed that we're killing ourselves through nature. And I just feel like it's not a situation that people are aware of. It doesn't matter your your politics, your race, your creed, color. None of that matters. You will be affected by the pollution one way or another. If you drink water or eat food or breathe air, you'll be affected. We all have a stake in this. Yeah. And I don't think we can do it unless we can pull together. But, you know, we come together to, to make decisions to wage war. We can come together and make decisions to save the world. What's giving you hope in the work that you're doing? What's giving you hope these days? You. <laughs> People like you coming out. Um, I had a lady writing a book that came out about two years ago. I call her the poet. Mm. She was like, by you, Dave, you're famous. And I said, huh? I am. I didn't even know the lady was coming. <laughs> and I said, I am. She said, yeah, you buy you, Dave, you do this. And I was like, wow, she got me excited to meet this guy. Yes. You know, and <laughs> so I was like, wow, I didn't realize that I touch people in the way that I do. Mm -hmm. And for people to be so 
interested in the work that I'm doing is also something that motivates me and keeps me going because people like you coming and talking to me lets me know that people really do care and people really do want to get the word out. And so Mm -hmm. as long as I see that people are trying to fight for the same cause that I'm fighting for, I'll stay motivated. I'll keep doing the interviews. I'll keep posting the videos and doing whatever I can to help. Again, failure is not an option. (laughs) We have to do something about it, and I hope that it's able to happen in my and your lifetime. Bye, you, Dave. Thank you so much for talking with us today. It means the world to me, and I know you're making such a difference, so thank you for sharing your story. Thank you. I appreciate you taking the interest in what we're doing on the Bayou. And I'll see you down there. I'm going to come down there some way or another. (laughs) Okay. Well, we'll see you soon. All right. I am so grateful to Bayou Dave for taking the time out of his hugely important work on Houston's Buffalo Bayou to talk with me. You can learn more about that work at buffalobayou.org. Hope is my middle name is hosted and executive produced by me, Kate Tucker. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Kate Tucker Music. If there's someone you think belongs on the show, please send me a message. This episode was produced by Christine Fennessy with editing from Audrey No and Rachel Swaby. Our sound designer and engineer is Mark Bush. Music by the fantastic artists at Epidemic Sound, Soundstripe, and me. Big thanks to Connor Gaughan, our publisher and fearless leader at Consensus Digital Media. Hope is my middle name can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It would mean so much to me if you would follow, rate, and review the show. Hope is my middle name is a podcast by Consensus Digital Media, produced in association with Reasonable Volume. See you next time.